Welcome to Afros in the Diaspora. My name is Sarah. I am your host. And together we will vent, rant, laugh, and cry as we discuss the highs and lows of being an immigrant. Stay tuned for stories that will inspire, inform, entertain, and give hope. This is Afros in the Diaspora. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Afros in the Diaspora. Today, our guest is an honorable doctor, Dr. <laughs> Chineye Nwoke. Welcome to Afros in the Diaspora. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. This is so exciting. Chineye and her family are one of the first people I met in Canada as an immigrant, like on the third day that myself and my mom were here, that was when I met you and your family through your mom. And we just, it was just a chance meeting where like we were outside a building in school and your mom who used to work at the school just saw us and she's like, hmm, these people look Nigerian. Let me say hello. <laughs> and that's literally <laughs> it. And, you know, she said hello to myself and my mom. And then we started talking. She took us to people's house. She took us shopping for groceries and then took me back to my place where I was living. Like she was a mother and she still is. And, you know, your family is like my family now. And I just remain grateful for that day because we felt so isolated and it just gave hope and light to us that day. So I'm ever grateful. I'm ever grateful. Uh, your family always, Sarah. So it's always, it's always exciting to, to see you, hear from you and um, connect with you. Always see all the exciting things that you're up to these days. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. So. We're going to start with two icebreakers, right? We're going to get into the riddles. So we're, I, got, I have a riddle for you. And knowing that you're a doctor, I know that this is light work. Like, this is easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, growing up, we used to play this game, myself and my siblings with, like, my big cousins. And we'll play these games of, like, answering riddles. And, and, you know, if you get a riddle, you get, like, an extra spoon of rice or something. Right. So we used to play those games. You have one minute, one full minute to answer the riddle and you get a hint. OK. OK. All right. So it's going to be really simple. Don't even worry. Like you're, you're a brilliant person. So I'm like, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. OK. Are you ready? Yeah. OK. I run through hills. I veer around mountains. I leap over rivers and crawl through the forest. Step out of your door and you find me. What am I? Hmm. hmm. That's an interesting one. Yes. Do you want me to repeat it and give you a hint? Yes. Run through hills. Okay. I run through hills. I veer around mountains. I leap over rivers and crawl through the forest. Step out of your door and you find me. What am I? And the hint... You walk on it. Your time starts now. So I walk on it. Mm -hmm. I want to say the ground, but that sounds so cliche. <laughs> yeah, but like it's not just the ground. It's 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 close, but not quite there. I veer the around Mount. No. Open your door and you see me. I don't see anything when I open my door. <laughs> <laughs> you have like 20 more seconds. Come on, you, you got this. It's a road, like, through the forest, it's there, it's... Oh, I think I even just said the answer. The forest? No! Oh, you didn't catch it! Okay. Do you want me to say the answer? Yes. Roads. The roads. So, oh. like, yeah, through hills, when you're going on a hike, you know, there's a little path of road, you know, over 
uh, rivers. Anyway, <laughs> it's a very like my legs, yeah. my shoes. Honestly, my brain is like always thinks like the complex answer to things before it even gets to the easy part. So I would never, I would never have guessed that. <laughs> oh, and you know the way I also said the question is also very tricky. It's like I used too much English for the <laughs> for the question. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay. So our our next icebreaker is, you know, growing up, like, again, back to growing up, uh, our parents and, like, grown-ups used to tell us these, like, things that if you, if you, these weird notions that now that we're older, there's a better understanding. And it's like, eh, that doesn't make sense. So, like, I remember, this is my, my most common example. It's like, I was told as a kid, if I were to, if I swallow chewing gum, I would never give birth. Because the chewing gum would go uh-huh. and block. <laughs> because the gum would go and block where babies come oh, out yeah. of. So, like, those really silly things that now that, like, after all the schooling that I've gone to, when I think about some of those things, I'm like, why? why? <laughs> yeah, I definitely heard of that one. I, I think they said something along the lines of the, the gum will stick to your organs or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. believe those as kids. That's 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 interesting. It's so interesting. So, do do you have any that you remember right now that you heard growing up? That now that you I think, think about a couple it? of ones that I mean, the one of that that they tell everybody that oh, if you pick money on the floor, you turn to yam or you turn to an animal, just to instill discipline in us. I guess that was a, <laughs> a very weird one. Obviously, now it's like, hey, money on the floor, okay. Yes. <laughs> now people actually look out for money on the floor. You know what's actually interesting mm-hmm. about that one? I think. Because, you know, growing up in Lagos, a lot of people back, you know, when they do juju and like, you know, spirituality and whatnot. So they're looking for people to use as quote unquote sacrifice. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to school as a kid. If you see money on the floor and you touch it, you turn to yeah. Like I remember my mom telling me and there are so many Nollywood movies that supported that theory, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's insane. Which other ones did you hear? Honestly, there were so many. So many. Like if you eat, if you eat, a, if you swallow the seed of a fruit, the fruit, like it will start growing on we'll your grow. <laughs> it'll start mm-hmm. growing in yeah, your belly. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I heard that one, too. There are many other ones like, oh, that if, if if you're having hiccups and you put like a strand of thread on your head, the hiccups will stop. Like there were so many very, yeah. If you put like a, stra- a strand of like a thread on your hair, like the hiccups stops. I tried that once on my niece and that did not work. I should tell you. <laughs> <laughs> One that I tried was, you know, that if you want someone to forget something, pluck an eyelash from your eye. And make sure they step on it and they'll forget anything you want them to forget. So I did this a lot for my lesson teacher as a kid when I did not do my assignment and it did not work. It did not work. I still got some lashes on my behind because I didn't do my homework. But it was just, that one was so superstitious. I don't even understand why I believed it in the first place. It never worked. Ugh. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of those stories, like, you never, nobody actually experiences them by themselves. They just, someone just tells them and they tell people and that those people tell other people. So it's more of hearsay than actually, okay, I've experienced this before and this is what happened. Or I've seen someone turn to yam before when they picked money on the floor. So yeah. those are very interesting stories that they, you know, some of them were used to scare us. Yeah. And some were just used to, like, teach you a lesson. Quote yeah, unquote. I agree. And I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. I don't just use kids to catch crews to just, like... <laughs> Let's just <laughs> let's just mess with them a little bit. And as kids will believe it. I'm like, oh, is it true? Oh wow, my mommy said that if you know, and we'll just spread mm-hmm. it like that in school and then ugh, anyway. 
yeah. Yes. Thank you for engaging with me, indulging uh, with me in the in the icebreakers. Let's get into our topic for today. And today again is just going to be a conversation, right? We're trying to just talk about being an immigrant, some of the challenges that have, that comes with it, and how we, you know, make t- try to overcome and move forward and, you know, build homes for ourselves and build a future. Um, but we'll be talking about some of those challenges, especially as a student adjusting to life. We'll be talking about mental health issues amongst immigrants. And that is just, that's something that's actually very much overlooked because a lot of people are like, oh, you moved from Africa? You should be so grateful. Like, there's this idea that you should be just mm-hmm. so grateful that, you know, you should just wear rose-colored glasses through life, and that's just not how it works. So, yeah, we have we have a whole lot to talk about today, Shinei, and I just, I want you to start with just telling us a bit about your background, um, your own immigrant story. Just tell us about it briefly. Okay, so my own immigrant story, I would say, may be a little bit different from that of many um, students, and I say that because I immigrated to Canada in the economic class, so I immigrated to Canada as a PR, mm. okay, so even though, like, I came into Canada, you know, to be a student and went straight into like I came into Canada and went straight into university. Mm. I came in as a peer as opposed to like a student permit. Okay, so my experiences may be different in that aspect. But um coming into Canada, I remember I came, I didn't even come like you know a week before, a month before to kind of get settled in. My whole family were all the way in Calgary, okay. Like my siblings, I should say, were in Calgary. My parents were elsewhere out of the country, my siblings were in Calgary, and I came by myself literally all the way to Toronto. Okay, so um, I think for me, it was kind of a, it was a very interesting experience. I remember my first day I cried, okay, my first day in university, I cried because I didn't have a phone and I was trying to like reach my, my cousins that um came with me and drove me down from the US. Okay, so I went to the US for summer holiday and then from there, we drove literally to Toronto. They dropped me and they left and I didn't have a phone and I was trying to reach them to find out, oh, you know, have they left? Where were they? And I couldn't find them. I wasn't very sociable back then, so I also didn't even feel comfortable asking someone, hey, can I use your phone to like send a text or send a message? Um, there was no phones in the room, obviously, in residence, because I stayed in residence. Um, so I think it was definitely, definitely isolating. Um, obviously, big university, big university feel. It was very, very isolating because I knew nobody, literally. I knew nobody. Went straight to school, went straight to residence, and kind of just started life afresh i didn't have like siblings or friends down the street where i could just you know they could help me like acclimatize get groceries um you know even buy things like because i came with nothing literally i had no bed sheets i had no duvet cover i had mm. literally absolutely nothing no soap sponge like so i needed to go shopping to like buy my essentials right and i didn't yeah. have anyone to do that for me so um i think it was quite hard in that sense of just trying to get myself settled and trying to get myself acclimatized to the environment and i also came during fresh week like or freshers week as some universities call it so like everybody was literally like in a party party like mood and me i was more like okay i have so much to do i need to suck myself out before classes start yeah so i also didn't even get to enjoy like the freshest week that was going on as well at the same time because i was kind of by myself trying to sort myself out get all these things get settled in whereas anybody literally was just having the time of their lives when i would see them like walk past like the courtyard and they were having like the time of their life literally so i think that was a very um good times when i think of it but those, that was pretty much my my first week in canada i would say um coming here to start school 
in a big city, big university. And it was a different feel. I feel like if I could go back now, honestly speaking, I think I would choose a smaller university mm. feel. And that's something that I didn't know back then. A lot of people don't know, but I would choose a smaller university because you kind of get that community feel that you miss from um, big universities. Right. And I later got that experience when I did like my master's and my PhD as well, like in a smaller university and I loved it so much. Um, and again, all experiences were, were for the best or they prepared me for life, as, she, as people would say. Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. See, that freshest week of a thing, I moved here for my master's and I just remember... I only I used to see these things in like Hollywood movies, you know, like when it was like, oh, it's Freshers Week, oh, it's Freshers Week. But I did not really, I still don't fully even understand exactly what it entails because it just kind of went over my head. And because again, yeah. I was so isolated, I did not know what was happening. I did not really know how to find out information. I didn't know how to figure out, like learn about what was really going on, not to talk of show up for them. So like, it, yeah, it just over my head, went over my head. So yeah, feeling isolated is like, it plays into your experience a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about some of those struggles and challenges. And you already mentioned, we already even just talked about some of those, that feeling of isolation and lack of like community. But can you talk about some of the things that you faced and you've done like three postgraduate or post-secondary <laughs> degrees, you've done your undergrad, you've done your master's, you've done your PhD, you are a full doctor right now. So like talk about some of those things in your different levels even of education of being a student in those different levels and how, you know, what have been those challenges that you maybe you faced in your first uh, degree, but you didn't in the second or, you know, something that was a challenge throughout your educational career? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, definitely. I think so in my undergrad specifically, um, I think my first my first semester I definitely struggled. Um, and this was both academically and socially, I would say, um, like even trying to like just find my own community within the university itself. Um, I came from like, you know, secondary school where I had so many friends, like I was so social, I had so many friends, I had my own community, you know, we did different things and then coming to university, nobody really prepares you for that like leap. Yeah. That okay, welcome to the real world. This is basically where everybody's going to treat you like an adult. Yes. When you know you've come from nobody treating you like an adult, or people just kind of getting you ready for that adulthood and then boom, you're thrown into it. So Yeah, the transition. I think that exactly. So I think the challenge that I faced and initially as well, right? The way my university worked back then was um there's different colleges, so that's why I say big university fails. So you have to pick your college. And when I was picking my college, I didn't even have enough information because I didn't know anybody to ask okay what college should I pick so I just picked the college that matched my high school name or my secondary school name and I was like oh this is interesting you know this could be a sign wrong choice anyway <laughs> so I picked up that college and like my first I think my first week maybe they were like let's not even go to like Africans like my first week maybe were like two of us that were black literally wow. like in the whole college you know, or people that, I guess those that were in residence and came that week for freshers, they were maybe like two of us that were black. Um, and there's definitely nothing wrong with that, but I just didn't see like my representation around, okay, you know, okay, this person looks like, uh, you know, they're also lost as me. Let me ask them questions that mm -hmm. they, that I can relate to or they can relate to. Um, you know, where can I get African foods, for example? Where, you know, where can I shop for, you know, African spices and different things because I also didn't come ready like like most people would come ready with all their food stuff I didn't come ready right I wasn't prepared so 
that having that challenge of not even seeing anybody that looks like me around or even seeing anybody to ask was definitely challenging my first week although luckily though i got lucky in my second week i met someone okay in my second week i met someone and it was interesting because she wasn't even part of like the first week and i could tell that she wasn't a, a first year student okay but she was around that first week and it's so funny because we were still friends today and we laugh we laugh about it till today but i thought she was a cafeteria worker don't even ask <laughs> so i was like okay i've not seen this person like the first couple of days where did they pop up from and i figured like okay maybe they're you know and i only saw her in the cafeteria so i was like oh definitely a cafeteria worker because that first week no other like left second year or third year she had not been in residence in that year only for me to find out oh she was actually a third year student and she just came early mm-hmm. i guess quote unquote she just came early to campus and we became like the best of friends honestly we clicked and then she was later the one that kind of like got me introduced with you know more Nigerians, more Ghanaians, more African mm. people, other immigrants at the university. And then I kind of started developing or finding my own community through her. So I definitely, you know, thank her for that experience um, as well. I think even the culture of like the food was something different for me because, you know, I come from eating a certain type of food. And I'm also not very picky with food, honestly speaking, but I struggled a lot eating like university food, like residence food. Um, the breakfast I didn't mind because it was like I mean bread eggs. There's only certain ways you can make breakfast food, but like for lunch and dinner, I definitely, definitely struggled. So I found myself like eating out a lot, snacking a lot, because then I also couldn't cook because we didn't have like a kitchen, a full kitchen. We had a kitchenette, but not a full kitchen where you could say, okay, let me go and cook my own, my own food. So that was definitely another struggle for me. They say, oh, people put on the freshman fifteen, like you know, in your first months you put on like 15 pounds yeah i lost weight in my own first month so. <laughs> is that a thing put on any... oh yeah they say people like fresh freshmen in university like you put on like at least 15 pounds in your first semester wow that's like a thing that people say so this it's called like freshman 15 i didn't put on any freshman 15 i lost weight i lost so much weight <laughs> exactly i lost so much weight and then like it's also like coming from like i went to like a a small secondary school, I would say, like it wasn't big compared to other people's secondary school. Like my classes were maybe like 20 students, 15 to 20 students max. And first year big universities, mm-hmm. you're seeing like 400 people in class, yep. 400 to 600 people in class. So like I went into like my first year biology class and it was like in a kind of a stadium like room um, called convocation hall. That's literally where they do convocation and that's where biology was. So entering, you're like, okay, where do I sit? I don't know anybody here. Like there's so many people no one even asked any question because it's too big for you to ask questions so everybody's just you know take their notes and then everybody kind of leaves so again i couldn't find my community it was hard for me to make friends in that aspect so i just you know just one of those things where you know just suck it up and hang in there and be calling your friends across the country at least now you have a phone be calling your friends across the country be messaging people be whatsapping people here and there um texting people use facebook when i used to use facebook back then use facebook and message your friends i kind of just keep that international friendship as opposed to like creating new mm-hmm. community where you were right uh, so i think that those are one of the challenges that i face so in my academics even making a community of student friends that i could study with um people that you know understood me understood my culture where i was coming from people that understood my background my foods my likes my dislikes and also even finding like a local church for me was very challenging i don't think i found mm. one like my second year in toronto um I think, yeah, I think it was my second year that I finally, like, found the church that I liked and I started going to. Because re- apart from that, like, the first, year, the first year was a struggle. Just put it that way. But when I went for my master's, though, I think it was a bit of a different experience because um, 
although I moved to a city where I knew nobody, okay, I moved all the way to Saskatchewan and I knew nobody there, um, I kind of already had an idea of what to expect, um, what to expect, what to look out for, um, how to make friends, how to form my own community. I had already had that experience from Toronto that I knew that, okay, I could transfer this to Saskatoon and learn from things that, you know, didn't work out the first time around. So even though I didn't go alone, I took my sister along, even though she wasn't a student, I dragged her along to like my first week of school. I said, you must follow me because she's very sociable, but okay, you must follow me and help me make friends. And I remember her last day, she was like, um, you know, I'm leaving, right? I'm not a student here, baby, but I make friends on your own, otherwise, <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> and that was like, oh, shoot, okay. And then I, I met like some, you know, some really nice people then, and we're still friends today. I tend to keep a lot of friends, actually. We're still friends today. So I'm definitely thankful for that community. Um, I didn't have initially in Toronto um, and kind of I did develop that later on in Toronto it's like my final years of school my final two years of school for sure um, Saskatchewan a little bit of a different experience because I was more familiar with what to expect um, and you know did that I did the best I could to overcome those challenges of loneliness because I tell you like if someone isn't an extrovert or someone isn't outgoing it's very very hard for them to actually make friends and you know find that community because no one's really just going to come up to you and say, oh, hello, how are you doing? You have to yeah. you have to make the effort. That's what I've learned. Um, you have to kind of make the effort. Even though it's maybe small talk initially, you have to put yourself out there and make the effort. Otherwise, people will just leave you <laughs> by yourself in your corner and you will suffer alone in silence. Yeah. The loneliness and the desire for community, like those are the main things. And I find that with all the people I've talked to, Mm-hmm. It, that's just the thread that's a recurring thread of like feeling lonely needing community desiring community needing like building that you know deciding what it looks like for you and trying to build it somehow um but yeah like that's so that's mm-hmm. so interesting tell us about your your phd experience yeah so my phd experience was actually a lot lot different than both of them and i say that because i did my phd while working full-time so i was kind of also busy and occupied in the sense of actually trying to make an effort to make friends on campus i'm gonna say that okay um because i was you know trying to juggle everything together so i didn't really put in a lot of effort into my phd in making community because i already had my work community or my work friends in the city um and also like my church friends in the city i should say uh i already knew where the grocery store was because i lived in the city at that time before i even started my phd i knew when things was i was also mobile i was driving so things were a little bit easier you know in my phd but i did see um you know students struggle like international students that had come for their masters and did struggle initially you know and i did my best to you know pay the way pay forward you know help people um, like tutor people for free and just help them kind of understand the way things work at the at the, the department or the faculty um you know help them even if it's just giving them a ride on a very cold night like just help people as much as possible as, as i could um because I've, I've been there i know what it was like so at that point me being a little bit you know definitely more settled than where i was when i was an undergraduate student um it was a more i guess a more fulfilling experience for me as a as a phd student than than you know being a master student or even being yeah. an undergraduate student yeah so it got better 
yeah, each, each new experience building on the last one, what you learned, what you know now and what you know mm-hmm. you can do better. And also knowing, and like, it was so glad, like, I'm so glad for you that you actually had a sister you could bring along for your first week. <laughs> like when I moved here, I moved with my mom and like, obviously she couldn't go to class with me or try to make friends with me because like that would kind of be weird. Yeah. But it was, some people move by themselves. Like I'm very grateful for you sharing that. Not a lot of people talk about like, the reality of like yo it was lonely like that loneliness like people hardly talk about it and it's it's very real it's very real and understated like no one ever prepares like everyone's like oh i'm moving you know i'm moving to canada oh i'm going to oh i'm in the abroad oh i'm you know going to school and da, da, da. but no one ever talks about like oh it's mm-hmm. kind of lonely here and it's and if you don't know someone having to like find out everything by yourself step by step it can be very hard and you will make mistakes it's like hard, i remember yeah. the first time i was going to walmart and i did not know how to stop the bus chine i rode <laughs> end of the line <laughs> i wrote to the end of the line like when the bus was good like the drivers were gonna switch out and then eventually i saw people like i saw how they were stopping the bus by like pulling the yellow thread uh, like string or whatever and like my friend told me oh just go to walmart people normally come down walmart you you won't need to even stop the bus i she lied she lied because nobody, nobody came, came down. down and I rode all the way to the end of the line and then coming back now I knew I had a better idea and so I was able to stop the bus but that was like that was one of those experiences that was like ah oh, wow <laughs> you know yeah so let's talk yeah. about the mental health aspect of it I know that like that is one of the things that you are passionate about uh as a professional as a as a person and I just I want you to talk about that like uh, because it's not talked about enough is the mental health mental health aspect of being an immigrant and how your mental health kind of takes a blow like it takes a hit when you move and you're trying to kind of have hold on to your sense of self and sense of identity but sometimes it's not easy and sometimes they completely collapse and you have to build them all over again from scratch so yeah please talk about that finding the mental health is definitely a key component i would say um you know we come from a culture where we don't really recognize mental health as a whole um and not even that society doesn't recognize it, but we ourselves, there's also that self-recognition piece of mental health mm. that a lot of people actually don't have. You know, a lot of immigrants actually don't have. They may say, well, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling down, but they actually don't even know what's going on with themselves. You know, so we can't, I, I don't always blame society. I always, you know, there's still a part that we individuals have to take in recognizing, you know, the symptoms, our moods, how we're feeling, um, to be able to even determine it or call it mental health, as people call it. Um, but yeah, I think definitely the mental health component is a big one because a lot of like, you know, research out there has shown that like social support is the mm-hmm. key contributor for mental health. Um, you know, having that social support, that community that we spoke about earlier, social support, um, having family or friends in the city is a big contributor to, mm-hmm. you know, immigrants' mental health as a whole. Um, so I think definitely like for me, um, I would say that I maybe I did not experience like, you know, depression in that sense, but I think I definitely had like bouts of anxiety as to certain things like, um, you know, even like my grades in school, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm calculating my, and I'm very meticulous when I'm calculating my, okay, 10%, I have 8% of 10%, you know, I have 5% of 4% of 5% if I feel this and all of that. Um, So in that aspect, you know, trying to like be an overachiever at the same time, you know, study for classes at the same time, you know, have my own community at the same time, make friends at the same time, you know, try and do sports or try and be healthy or try and be fit. Mm-hmm. It's just so much going on yes. at the same time for an individual. 
Right, and we don't really realize that, okay, sometimes maybe mm. we just need to let a few things go and even just slow down. Um, like, we we'll always want to be, like, on the go, on the go, on the go. Oh, and yes. that, again, also puts that a toll on us. That overachieving thing, please, can you we know? just talk about it a little bit more for a second? Because, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, it's a, it's a very <laughs> real thing, especially for immigrants. It's like, you have to go above and beyond. It, it's almost an, like a psychological layer to it of, like, I need to prove that I belong here. I found that that was my experience in a lot of ways of Mm -hmm. like, you know, there are all these people that, you know, don't know my background or, you know, I'm new and I feel I'm like the one of two black people in an entire class of, like you said, 400 people. You know what I mean? So like that, that needs to go extra hard. And also, of course, don't want it to be like your parents have wasted money, right? There's that, there's that layer of like the, you know, doing Mm -hmm. your parents proud so that it won't be like they're spending all this money to put you through school and you are what? You're feeling what all those different layers, and then of course being healthy because as before your aunties will see you and say, ah, ah, yeah, how do you wait till? Are you eating burger? Is he is he ice cream and burger you're eating in Canada? You know, like there are all these things that just that add to it, right? And then of course you now you have to have a social life because oh, now yeah. you're a young woman. Where will you marry and bring on chat? You know, like so all those things. All <laughs> you're laughing, but it's true. You know, it's true. Like all those things add up, and and that overachieving it, it like you that anxiety that comes with like mm-hmm. realizing that you're only a human being you're not perfect like body no be firewood like you know how let's t- talk about that a bit more mm-hmm. i think the, the the overachieving part actually uh, i just want to say that that never goes away even it's still you know, here now. yes honestly speaking that yes. never goes away even in the workplace it maybe just looks different but even in the workplace um like today i still feel like i'm an overachiever i always want to like you know do things a certain way and you know meet my milestones yeah. and you know prove that i'm supposed to be here so that never goes away but definitely even as an immigrant student um i think the challenge there is um people see like okay this is how much that i've paid for fees you know mm-hmm. i cannot afford to fail this course because if you fail mm-hmm. there's no refund you're not getting your money back yeah. you know it has gone it has gone you know so people also look at that and be like okay i need to do my best i need to even if it means i don't sleep i don't eat i don't yeah. do this i pull an all-nighter yeah. i need to get this done you know and Honestly speaking, I think it's something where you just learn to sometimes mm-hmm. look after yourself. Do the best you can and just leave the rest because I tell people, like, truth, truth be told, do your best, definitely. But in life, if 4.0 isn't going to get you anywhere in life, and I stand by that, anybody that wants to debate with me, like, I'm literally going to stand by that statement regardless of what everybody says. But I think if 4.0 isn't going to yes. get you the best job in life, it's not going to get you everything you need in life, okay? Mm-hmm. There has to be that balance. Okay, and that balance cannot be at the expense of your health or your mental health. You know, you have to always mm-hmm. find that middle ground, that fine middle ground. And do the best you can because we're all humans, you know. And I tell this to, like, my younger cousins that are now in undergrad and going through the whole experience um, and sharing a personal story here. Like, my, my baby cousin called me and she's crying. And first of all, I, I tell people, when you're texting me, get to the point. Then we can then get into the details. Don't go around, you know, telling me. Ring out, ring out on the rosy stories, get to the point. You know, she mentioned that was very urgent. She wants to talk to me. And I'm thinking, ha, what did this girl go and do? Is she going to get pregnant? Like, what's so serious? Only for her to tell me that, oh, that she wants to drop a course. And I'm like, is that why you were telling me all this as if somebody died? I said, okay, why do you want to drop the course? She told me, I said, okay, drop the course. Yes, and she was like, exactly. Really? I said, yeah, what do you want me to say? Drop the course if you, if you, if you know you're struggling. Like, so, I mean, even that fear, so she even had, like, that fear of, like, oh, you know, I'm an overachiever, mm. what would they say if I drop this course, or, you know, it's a waste of money. Yeah, unfortunately, money has gone in that aspect, but at the expense of your mental health and your own health, I choose you dropping the course than, you know, you losing your mind over, over school or over a course. 
So, and it just brought me back to, you know, my own time as a student and very similar experiences. So a lot of experiences actually mm-hmm. are just, they just show up in different ways, but they don't really like, yeah. that experience is still the same. It's still there or the, you know, the high level experience as a whole, as you define it, is still there trying to be an overachiever from a very young age up until, you know, even adulthood. And we're still always, you know, trying to be overachievers. Back then I went to one, um, it was like an event. I don't even remember. And this is why I tell people also get information is good, but the right information is best, right? I tell people, I went to something back then and the person was saying, eh, how can you only be taking four to five courses? In Nigeria, mm. we took 13 courses. We took 14 courses. And I'm like, excuse me? Great, that's in Nigeria. But here, <laughs> three courses alone, three to four is like exactly. the max. Don't push yourself. Don't kill yourself, you know? You can't even compare the coursework here to that in Nigeria. You know, 13 courses per semester it's here possible, does not make yeah. sense. It's not even possible for you to do 13 courses in one semester. You know, the maximum five. If you push yourself, maybe six. But I tell people to always kind of find that fine balance within four. Like yeah. three, if you can, four, if you really are able to push yourself. But don't go more than six and be saying, oh, because in Nigeria I was doing a, a 13, I was doing 10. And these are people that have started university in Nigeria and then, you know, moved to Canada. And they think they can still do that 13, 12 courses, six courses. It's not possible. Don't kill yourself. You know, so again, like getting information is not enough, but getting the right information. Because this is somebody in Canada that was telling them these things. You know, somebody that's already in Canada that was telling them this is. Went to Nigeria, went to university in Nigeria. They don't go to university in Canada, but he's in Nigeria telling them all this. And I'm possible. like, it's not possible, though. Don't be deceiving yourself because the moment you pay and you don't pass that cost, you've lost your money. You've lost your money and then you've brought down your your CGPA. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You've shot yourself in the foot because exactly. in, in my undergrad, you're right. We did 10, 12, 13 courses at like in one semester at a time. Mm-hmm. And when I came here for my master's program and I found out that I only had to do four, three, five, I first, I was like, wait, is this right? <laughs> if someone could literally interview my supervisor from when I came here, you would just laugh. Like, you would just laugh at Sarah. It's stories on stories. Because the kind of questions I'll ask, you think that, I'm sorry, you went to a school, right? I did, but it was very different. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was very different. So yeah. I'm like, oh, it's just three, four, five courses. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is that enough? Oh, do you need to drop one? I'm like, it's an, it's enough. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah it's interesting i mean even coursework alone looks a little bit different because here you'll see you know you have like five mm-hmm. quizzes mm-hmm. one group project one presentation one midterm one exam so there's different components yes. of within that one course itself that alone can you know <laughs> make you tired and drive you crazy than opposed to you taking like you know, multiple courses that all have that different, different subcomponents yeah. in the course that you still have to meet, you know, to get the overall grade. So it's just finding that 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 balance really and looking yeah. up by yourself, honestly speaking. Another thing that you know that comes to mind now is like the the environment as well is different from where people are immigrating from, right? So if you immigrate in the winter, people don't know that you're mm. it's best to go on vitamin D. You know, and a lot of physicians will tell you it's like get vitamin D because in the winter you're coming from where there's sunshine every single you know sunshine is there till 7 p.m 8 p.m and in the winter Mm. like 4 p.m is already dark you know Mm. and that affects your mood right so a lot of people will go on vitamin d in the winter for mood regulation right they advise people to go on vitamin d to regulate your mood in the winter because you wake up it's dark outside you go to school you come out of class it's already dark outside winter that you know 
that's the winter month. So that alone adds to people's like, and when mm-hmm. it's that way, you're going to see friends to make like, you know, everybody's already in their little bubble yeah. in the winter and their little cliques. So it's hard. That again contributes to more isolation, right? So even, you know, finding as much as possible, trying to find something you like, be it mm-hmm. a hobby or a physical activity, to find that balance always goes a long way because if you just focus on school, 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 you're going to lose your mind eventually or even just be tired. I didn't know that vitamin D, like <laughs> it's a, you know, it's recommended during during the winter, especially for new immigrants. I don't know. So me, yeah. I'll just be, I'll just be moody. I'll just be like, ah, is this how life in Canada? You won't know why. Know like you won't be able to articulate that. <laughs> what's really going on? You won't really, you won't, you won't have the vocabulary to even know that. Wait, like this is how I'm feeling. Let me go and seek help, or let me go and find vitamin D, or you mm-hmm. know what I mean. And like back to like the mental health um aspect of things, like. Therapy is is just one kind. It's it's a taboo topic amongst a lot of Africans, especially immigrants. Like mm-hmm. there's that idea that mental health is all in your mind. Like you're 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 just you're exaggerating or go and pray or go and read your Bible. Oh, don't you know the God you serve? So like there are different like Level. so many levels to it, and mm-hmm. there are so many things that people kind of use to explain it away, and there are so many things that people use to kind of like use a band-aid over it like it's not really in your mind just go and go and recite psalm 23 and you'd be okay you know what i mean so so it's just it's one of those like mm-hmm. things that especially as a new immigrant trying to find your way it can be very hard and very tricky especially if you're feeling like oh okay i, I i'm i'm feeling overwhelmed and moving from a home from a country you're leaving family you're leaving friends you're leaving a life that you've known you're leaving a part of your history and trying to you know move ahead and, and build a life somewhere else so like you're, you're grieving, like whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you wanted to jackpot or not, oh, yeah. you are grieving. You are grieving the life that you've known. You're grieving your childhood. You're grieving your friends, your family, mm-hmm. the life that you have known for how many years. You're grieving all that when you move. So that is a very, very big part of it that people don't really acknowledge, right? Everyone, there's just this assumption that, mm-hmm. oh, ah, you and your brother, thank God. Like, it's almost like this performa- uh, performative, um, gratitude that's just expected of you that oh you should be happy that you're here oh you should be grateful so like regardless of what you're going okay, through like yeah. you should be happy oh, yeah. you should just be grateful that you are, you are there you know what i mean mm-hmm. oh yeah and that's why i, I definitely give kudos to like immigrant mm. moms that are students because man like after i go to class i'm really tired i cannot imagine doing all of that and coming home to take mm-hmm. care of an, a child or a little one or children i think i will just lose my mind so i always give it to them literally when i see them on campus you know, and I know that, you know, they have a newborn or they have a young baby and they're still mm-hmm. out there doing their thing. Like, I always literally give it to them because it's not easy. Like, it's definitely yeah. not easy for them, I would say. Um, so there's that also, like, aspect and, they, you know, they just had a baby or just had a baby within a year. You know, they're also a student. They're still also a new immigrant. Yeah. So that's, like, multiple layers, you know. And that's why I'm also very passionate about my research area, like, maternal yes. depression among African immigrants. Um because again i've seen like a lot of struggles i mean even within african immigrants and be it like new immigrants or long-term immigrants that are here very similar experiences actually truth be told the only difference is that the more long-term immigrants have kind of developed their community mm. or their supports as opposed to um you know new immigrants that don't have they don't have that support that you know having a mom having a family but having that community that would help you raise your child or look after your child or just hold my child i want to dance if i hold my child i have class so i need to do this i need to do that they have to balance all of that and i give it to them because it's 
it's it's insane <laughs> it's it's literally insane to do all of that so kudos kudos to all the all the african moms that are students it's not easy on top of that like there also is just a lack of opportunities sometimes for immigrants and for like especially african or black immigrants you know whether it's scholarship opportunities funding opportunities um, whether as a student, even when you get out into a workplace, like not many people are even willing to give you a chance. Like after all that studying, after all that work you've done, after your 4.0 GPA, after everything, right? I heard this somewhere and it just broke my heart when I, when I heard that sometimes, unfortunately, when a, what is it, a HR person or a boss or whatever looks at your CV and they cannot pronounce your name, they toss your CV aside. So my name, because I'm not English, mm-hmm. because I was not born in, even there are people of color that were born here, there are black African Nigerian people that were born here, but because my name is Chukwemeka Odinaka, I cannot get a job, people are not yeah. always open. Please talk about that. I just need you to talk about your experience with it. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's, 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 it's definitely interesting, right? Um, in terms of the opportunities, what I always advise people, tell people is, as much as... You know, in Nigeria, we say, oh, connections, you have connections. Canada also works like connections, I'm sorry to say. And not even the sense of, you know, somebody, but for people putting a face to your yeah. name, it goes a really long way, right? As opposed to just submitting your resume or putting your resume in a resume bank. Having that community networking or having people speak for you or speak for your skills, skill set goes a very mm-hmm. long way than just submitting your resume. Right, so I always say that to people: network, try as much as possible to yes. network, go to networking events, be friends with your professors. Yeah, you may not like them or you may not love them, but just make sure that they know you and they know your name and they know who you are. By adding the out of a group of four hundred students, they can pick you out and say, "This is Chinaya or this is this person," you know. And that takes some learning or some coaching for people to be able to yes. get comfortable with. But besides that, though, like you know, the government here also works a lot on data-driven decisions. Like they make a lot of decisions based on data. Data driven decisions. Some people have heard it multiple times, but that's really the fact. For anybody to release money, they need to see a data to prove that this is a need or this is a concern or this is a growing area or this is a gap. If there's no data, it's very, very hard for someone to say, okay, here's money, go enjoy yourself mm-hmm. or go do what you want to do. Or, you know, or here's money for a need based you know, scholarship or here's money for a scholarship for an African student or here's money for an African you know, immigrants to run a program in the community or an African organization, they always need to see data that, okay, this is actually a need in this community, right? And so that's on the on the, on the sponsor or the funder's part, you know. But on our own individual part, I tell people as much as possible, try, if you see, and some of them may be annoying, let me be truthful with you, but if you see, you know, someone that's doing research for your community, it's always best to try as much as possible to fill that person's survey or do the person's interview or help the person out as much as you can because you're contributing to data-driven decisions for your community. You're contributing to the knowledge that's out there and knowledge being like, I'm sorry to say, but peer-reviewed manuscript published knowledge because, you know, that unofficial, or, you know, we know that this is a problem in the community. How do you know? It's what they're going to ask you. You can't say, oh, my friend told me or based on the people I've interacted with, they want to see that you've actually sampled wide and, you know, there's that similarities in the issues that people are highlighting. Otherwise, nobody's going wow. to release you money. I'm sorry to say, you know, and that's why I always point to the South, South East, East Asian community. They have some good funding for them to do like a lot of community programming. And that's because they have a lot of data for their community that's available out there. 
right? So we as immigrants, I'm speaking specifically now, we as African immigrants, we need to do our best to also, you know, those that are doing research or those that are in, you know, in the academic field or students, if they tell you, oh, choose your own research topic, topic try as much as possible to research your community. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say, but that's just the truth. Try as much as possible to research your community or do something that ties in or that your own community benefits from because yeah. it goes a really long way, right? So for my research, for example, I remember when I started my PhD and I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go with my PhD, right? Initially, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do every immigrant, you know, mental health in all immigrants because that's what I did in my master's at that time. So I was like, oh, I want to do something similar to this. And then I thought about it. And then at that time, um, I thought about it. And I'm like, why do I really want to do all immigrants? Really, all immigrants is not my interest, right? Because I actually, I'm like, okay, so that data showed that, um, you know, immigrants are more likely to consult with um, psychiatrists than like a family doctor or a mental health therapist for their mental health needs, right? And we know that in Canada, like you see a psychiatrist, you need a, a referral, you need like a specialist, like it's, it's, you've gotten to an advanced stage of illness for you to, for them to tell you to go see a psychiatrist. Right. So we're seeing a lot of immigrants going to see a psychiatrist for mental health needs and not enough going to see like their family doctors for mental health needs. But for non-immigrants, it's the other way around. Right. A lot of non-immigrants are seeing their family doctor or therapist for their mental health needs and not seeing psychiatrists. So you can kind of infer from that that non-immigrants, you know, they they enter the mental health system a little bit early right. in that prevention stage as opposed to immigrants that enter the mental health care system at an advanced or later stage of illness right and mental health is a continuum right if you don't address the problem early on it goes into more complex issues right so that was interesting i said to myself okay you know that data set that i used at that time which was the canadian community health survey to wait somebody that surveys like you know canadians as a whole and i looked okay what exactly how many black people answered the survey that's why i started from and it wasn't that much it was like i think one percent zero point one or something like that and i said okay within these black people how many are africans and i couldn't even tell there wasn't enough data to tell how many of those respondents were actually africans or african immigrants so i told my supervisor at the time i said you know what um this is what i want to do and unfortunately there's no data out there so i'm gonna have to collect my own data and she she wasn't really happy about that, I would say. Um, like, you know, oh, that's going to take so much time. Why do you want to do that? Uh, that's not, you know, a very important topic, right? And I said, look, the truth is that um, we did actually argue about that. Like, there's a lot of back and forth, I can tell you. There was a time where our relationship was very rocky wow. because of my research topic, okay? She wanted me to do something that was more straightforward and something that there was already data out there so that it's simpler. And I, you know, I, I give credit to her for that. She wanted my journey to be a smoother one. But I felt, you know, I'm already employed. This PhD is not really my life. So I actually want to take my time and do something mm-hmm. that I, I enjoy or something that would actually be beneficial yeah. for my own community, right? But then I said, look, this is what I'm doing. Oh, and so <laughs> let's just figure out how to move forward from this aspect. And after a while, we kind of, you know, got over it and moved forward. And so because there wasn't any data out there, I had to go out and collect my own data. And I remember the struggles at the time. Oh my, but thank goodness for like, you know, my community, my friends, my family, you know, people that really supported me in getting the word out there that, oh, you know, there's somebody doing this research on this topic, please fill the survey, or please do this, please reach out to her, please do this. So there was a lot of, you know, help that came mm-hmm. for me at that time. And I had big dreams, and then the pandemic happened, so I was like, oh, shit, everybody literally went indoors, wow. everybody went extinct. So it was even a lot more challenging for me to even reach people. But, you know, did the best I could at the time. Um, So where, where am I going with that? I'm just saying, like, you know, 
having data can then help inform policy decisions. Okay, so having that data can help inform policy decisions. Policy decisions are in the country are all data driven. Nobody's going to make a policy based on opinion or personal experience, right? So as much as possible, we need to kind of also know the kind of society that we work in. Mm. It's a data-driven society. Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, you know, what to say about that. It really depends. But we have to do our very best to contribute to data and contribute to data for your own community so that your community, when we say, okay, or when we approach a fund and we say, okay, the African community in Calgary, for example, needs fifty thousand dollars, and this is why we need fifty thousand dollars. This is the background research that has been there to show that this need is very, you know, essential. It's a very critical need for them to release the money. If I go up to Trudeau today and I say, "Oh, I need ten thousand dollars because my friend had a baby and my friend is struggling," are you normal? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, but if, exactly. But if I say, you know. I've done a study and this is what it shows among the sample of African women in Alberta and this is the issues and this is what we want to do to address this issue. We're looking for funding, we're looking for money for this. They're more likely to release that money to you because you have that backing, right, for your money. So that kind of just comes into play in thinking about about that aspect of, um, you know, having the importance of having data to back initiatives for the community as a whole. Like round of applause <laughs> because that was so that was so informative <laughs> like i did not know like i thank you because you just poured knowledge into my little cup here and i did not realize how heavily you know our society here in north america canada like relied on data for policies mm-hmm. like this is new information to me for real and i'm sure to a lot of other people because you just assume ah systematic racism oh they don't, there's lack of opportunity. Oh, there's exactly. just, they are trying to hold us back, you know? And you mm-hmm. just assume all <laughs> these horrible things. And, you know, part of it, my enemies oh, in my, my village have yep. met me in Canada. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? And, and but, I mean, not to, not to completely disregard systemic racism that exists. Let's not get it twisted. It exists. But mm-hmm. part of our duty, part of our work, right, in making things better for us, for our communities, for our future, our children, is actually getting more involved in, in data, right? Actually being a part of collecting data. And it's almost like showing proof to the government. See? See? You see? Black people mm-hmm. are underfunded. And these are the, you know, this is the proof. This is, these are the, you know, um, evidences or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's real. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. yeah, thank you for just pouring that knowledge into me today, into us, including the listeners here, because I did not know. I did not know. Um, but that's why you're the doctor. That's why you are the doctor mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and one more thing to add, though, and not just even in this, people may say, okay, you know, I'm not in the academic scene. I'm not doing research. But even something as simple as you attending an event, like an African event or a community event, a black community event, and they send you like a satisfaction Ooh. survey after I always tell people, please try and feel that for them because try and contribute to that survey. Like, feel that survey for them because it could also go a long way for them when they are seeking funding to say, okay, these are the people that attended our events. These are the needs that those people highlighted. This is what went well. This is not, this, this did not go well. So I tell people, whenever people send me those and I attend an, I attend an event, I always try as much as possible to feel their survey or their exit survey that they send about their events. That also goes a long way. You know, don't just ignore it and say, oh, I've attended yeah. the event. Let me just delete this one. 
if you have the time and please have the time to just take some seconds to fill that survey for that event it goes a long yes. and we don't also I, realize that so it's well. not even just about waiting to actually be an integral or core part of such a research it's just the bare minimum mm-hmm. like you know filling surveys like that also goes a long way wow wow mm-hmm. that is good to know oh, yeah. and i hope you know this will inspire some of our listeners to be more proactive or be more active in in actually trying to create a better future and a better direction for our community wow this has been amazing chinea thank dr chinea my bad my bad dr chinea <laughs> thank you so much for the time and energy and information that you've poured into us today and before you leave i just want you to give us a little nugget of wisdom something that we can carry with us and just be like hmm inspired by dr chinea i think the first one is what i tell people is not all information is valuable okay so there's a lot of naysayers out there that people are going to tell you you can't do it oh i applied for this and oh this and all that still attempt to do it you're not qualified for that job posting that you see still apply for that job posting because honestly they don't find that person they're looking for they're going to go for the next best thing and that may be you you know so not all information out there is valuable information make sure you're only taking valuable information and the only second thing I tell people is, you know, just look out for each other. I'm sorry to like sometimes people may people may be difficult, but don't transfer that difficultness of one experience that you had or one African or one black person that you had to everybody and say, Well, I want to avoid black, but I don't want to have anything to do with Nigerians, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Try as much as possible to look out for each other. Like have look out for community, look out for your own community, you know. Be that support for somebody else, you know. And they may not necessarily be your friend, but you see someone struggling, help them or provide a helping hand to people because honestly speaking, you know, and don't expect anything in return, right? But just know that you're doing good and you're doing your best or you're contributing to to your community as a whole. And it goes a long way to, to just be kind, you know, just be kind as best as possible. I think those are the only nuggets I have to drop for today. Yes, this. thank you for the nuggets of wisdom. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. And uh, yeah, well, tell the people how they can find you on the internet. So on the interwebs, um, you can find me on Instagram, although I don't really post much on my Instagram, mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> but the best way to find me is LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Chinea on LinkedIn. Chinea and my last name, okay. Um, feel free to also find me if you're in the academic field you can always connect to me like through my my, my, my manuscript my email is there as well as my phone number um so yeah so feel free to reach out to me we can always chat we can always connect i'm always looking to connect with you know people in the community that have similar interests and people are always doing exciting things for the community thank you again for being a part of today's episode i'm grateful i'm grateful i'm grateful i'm sure our listeners are also very grateful to have you no problem. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Always happy to, you know, see your face, see your beautiful <laughs> smile as always, and chat uh, with you. Thank you. And uh, this is it for this episode of Afros in the Diaspora podcast. And uh, until next episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Afros in the Diaspora. I hope this episode left you feeling inspired and hopeful. To engage, feel free to like, follow, share, and subscribe to Afros in the Diaspora on all social media and podcast platforms. Remember to leave a review and a rating. If you would like to be a guest, please reach out. Send an email to hi at afrosinthediaspora.com. That is hi at afrosinthediaspora.com. 
or send us a DM on Instagram at Afros in the Diaspora. Remember, there is beauty in our stories and power in our voices. Together, we are stronger. Until next time.